Please welcome Pastor John. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, everybody. It's really great to see you today, to be with you. Appreciate you coming. Uh, we are, uh, <clears throat> if you're a guest here, first or second time, we're so glad you came. And we hope you have a great experience with us and that you'll want to come back and join us again sometime. This uh, started this year as I was praying about what we should talk about. I felt like uh, the concept of investing in the kingdom would be really good for us to look at. So we began that last week. Uh, I'm so grateful that Jesus came and invested his whole life with us, gave us his whole life in bringing the kingdom of God, the restoring rule of God to earth. One of the ways to look at you know, all the miracles, the healing miracles, the freedom bringing miracles, the, the multiplying of food, the quieting of storms, all those powerful works Jesus did, they are like our restorations of creation. And uh, Jesus came to do that. He came to restore you and I and rescue us. And he just invested everything he had in bringing his kingdom. I'm thrilled with that. I'm also thrilled that he is inviting you and I to partner with him in the expansion of his kingdom all over the world. So I'm excited uh, for all we can learn about that on Sundays. I'm excited for learning about that at, at Mercy Wednesdays and in growth groups. <laughs> I'm especially excited my wife Sue and I are going to be able to come to At Mercy Wednesdays this year now that I'm here full time. Uh, however, we'll miss the first two because we have to sacrifice and serve Jesus in Puerto Vallarta for two weeks. I know, you're sad for me, aren't you? Please pray. <laughs> anyway, uh, one of the exciting things that's happening, Sue and I lead a partnership of churches that work in central Mexico. And... One of our dreams for the 25 years we've worked there is that Mexico would come together as a nation, kind of build and, and see its own leadership team emerge and be released as its own separate vineyard nation. And that's happening this, this, this February. So we'll be there for that celebration and so will many people from around the world that and uh, I, you know, I say this because I know in churches, we don't all realize the scope of what God's doing with us. We might focus just on our group, which is wonderful. This is a great group. But you know, you're part of something bigger. There's about six to 700 vineyard churches in the US, and we're planning more all the time. And one of our dreams for Mercy Vineyard is that we would be a church planting church more and more. Now, that may mean that you are a point person called by God to lead a team. It may mean you're a team person. It may mean you're a sender. You're someone who gives money and support and encouragement and prayer. And all of that's super valuable. In fact, uh, Kelly and Mike Mortvet are going to be going to the Multiply Vineyard Summit actually next week, and you can pray and groan with them too. They'll be in California next week, you know. What is this, Mercy Staff? All getting out of town in warm weather places. Well, you have a smart staff. What can I say? <laughs> anyway, uh, so Kelly's going to be experiencing, like, what will, it be, what will it be like for Mercy to, as a community, move forward more and seeing more churches planted? Wouldn't that be a great thing? Yeah. I think it'd be awesome. And so we're excited and to hear what she will bring back to us. And we have 1,500 vineyards in, around the world. So uh, we are part of something that God is doing all over the world. Um, we are one vegetable in the stew. That's what Carol Wimmer used to say. So we don't try to think more of ourselves than we should. But we also don't try to think less than we should. We're grateful for all that God is doing with us. I'm grateful for what he's doing here. So part of our investment in the kingdom is time, 
probably our most precious resource that we have, energy and gifts, and money. And so I'm doing the second talk on money today, and then next Sunday, Kevin Saunders, who some of you may have met last week, Kevin is the director of adult, empowering adults at Upworks, which is a nonprofit in Minnesota that helps people coming out of incarceration or addiction to move forward in life and job training and finding out who they are in Christ. They also have a division that works with schools. It looks to be a pretty awesome ministry. So Kevin is going to be here next Sunday. He's become a friend. I think he'll be a great blessing to you. <clears throat> and then after Kevin, after Kevin talks, Kelly will talk about how you can invest in the life of the community here at Mercy. Be connected, make friends, and so on. Give what you have, receive what they have. And then Tommy, our worship pastor, will talk about serving outside of Mercy, like serving the cities, which is part of our vision here, right? Well, how can we actually do that? So he'll talk about that. And then Cassie, our youth pastor, is going to talk about serving here at Mercy. Now, I know many of you have already found places that you love serving and you feel like your gifts are being employed and so on. But I'm sure that there are some of you that that's still a developing process. And so we just really want to encourage you. There is a place for you here. A place to receive, a place to give, a place to contribute, a place to make a difference. So she'll talk about that. And then I'll finish, finish up with talking about how we can serve the nations. Now that can sound like big and grandiose. Uh, it's people. It's people. We're called to make disciples of what? All the nations. That means everybody's welcome. And so, you know, if you notice, God's bringing the nations here to the U.S., but he also has, wants us to experience other cultures in their own culture. And so I'll just say this as a little, one more commercial, sorry. <clears throat> Not only are Sue and I going to Vallarta in uh, early February, but we lead a team of people in April. April 2 to 9, it's Thursday to Thursday. We do this every year. There's probably about 10 or 11 at River Heights that want to go. And I'm just making that available to anybody for mercy who'd like to be part of that. You can talk to me, email me, so on. There's not a whole lot. There's, we have to make our decisions fairly soon. But if it's something that rises in your heart, talk to me. Uh, we do it every year in April, right? Either before or after Easter. So there'll be another opportunity next year if you're interested. Uh, our lives have changed. My wife and I and our children, we've ch we're, we're changed by going and experiencing the blessing of Jesus in another culture and country. So <clears throat> I am uh, excited about all that. So last week I talked about how uh, began with the with Jesus teaching on how to invest your money really wisely, and he said Matthew six. Don't store up treasures for yourself on earth because there are moths, there's rust, there are thieves that could steal them. They're not a secure store of value. He's not saying it's bad to have stuff. He's just saying, hey, stuff breaks. Stuff loses its value. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where there aren't any moths, thank you, Jesus, where there's no rust, where there's no thieves, where it's, it's secure and it lasts forever. And so he's just giving us really wise investment advice. And then he goes on to say that where your treasure is, your heart is going to be. And so it's really a heart issue of how Jesus wants to soften, strengthen, and enlarge our hearts. So I want to build on that today by talking more about how the first followers of Jesus, how they began to apply Jesus' teaching to their lives practically, and how we can as well. I grew up in a, uh, a mid, maybe lower mid-income family. 
Dad was the superintendent of schools, which was a prestigious job. But those of you who have taught know that prestige is one thing, money is another. <laughs> so, and my mom was a nurse, great job, but she chose to stay at home when, when the kids, so we were a one-income family, and, and uh, they were good money managers. They paid all their bills. They were as generous, generous as they could be. But they had grown up in the Depression. And I realized this this year, interestingly, when I was doing a talk like this at River Heights, that both my mom and my dad lost their fathers when they were 17. That's kind of weird, isn't it? And it was in the middle of the Great Depression. And so resources were really tight. And so my dad was the oldest, so he basically raised his four brothers and sisters. His mother was in a severe clinical-like depression, couldn't function well. He basically raised their family. And he chose to not go to college right away to help fund his siblings. Isn't that an awesome thing? I mean, he never bragged about it. I found out that later. I said, Dad, like, that was like awesome. He said, well, I loved my brothers and sisters. So he waited. My mom was the youngest in her family, and so her mom had a big house, was a great cook, and she said, well, I, she had six kids, so she opened her home as a boarding home. And so they both learned how to work really hard at a very young age. That's a good thing. Truth be told, they lost a lot of their childhood because of what was going on. So that was just the environment I grew up in. And so they didn't argue a lot. Hey, my mom was Norwegian. My dad was Irish. That stimulated a few things. Uh, but uh, their arguments were always about money. And so I grew up with this fear, like, ah, oh, we, we must not have enough. Anybody ever experience too much month at the end of your money? <laughs> you know? Oh, shoot, we have five more days left. Sorry. Uh, anyway, so Jesus has been relentlessly good to me by freeing me from those fears. And he's really used money probably to change my life more than anything, both to show me my heart, show me my fears and insecurities, and then shape my heart, help me become a more generous person. So we're going to look this morning at that. Now, interestingly, Gandhi once said, if all Christians lived like Christ, the whole world would be changed. Yeah. I think that's true. Uh, but we're all a work in progress, right? But you and I can make a huge difference by choosing to live radically generous lives, generous with all our resources, our time, our, our strength and energy, and our money. And we live in a, we live in a country where acquiring things has become a controlling passion. And we fight this, we bump up against this. We have seen a dramatic increase in prosperity, generally, and at the same time, an actual decline in giving to churches and nonprofits. For example, 1933, when my parents were living through the Great Depression, giving was 3.3%. In 1995, it went down to 3%. By 2004, it was 2.5%. And it's held, so good news, bad news, it's held steady. So 2019, it's 2.5%. We haven't gone down, yay! And we haven't gone up at all. Why? Well, there's pressure. There's all kinds of pressure on us financially. There's many places to put our money. And things, uh, you know, cost of living has gone up. Wages have not gone up in proportion. Uh, someone gave me a note during, after the first service. This is the average home in 1980. Now, this is in 2019 dollars. Would have cost 197000 That same house today costs 325 Some of you have felt that. Like, ouch. How can I get in the market? How can I 
How can I make progress? Studies show that less than 25% of those who attend church give 10% of their income. Now, let me just say, I'm not here to bash anybody. I don't know exactly at this point yet what our numbers are at Mercy, but I'm here to encourage you. What could happen? Say we flip that. So if a quarter of us here are giving 10%, what if we flip that and, and three quarters were? What in the world could we do for the good of this community here, the good of the cities, the good of the U.S., the good of the world? We could do so much. We could make a huge difference if we would trust God, put our resources in His hands, and see Him multiply them. I think the best summary of Jesus' teaching is found in three little verses in 1 Timothy 6, and they're going to come up on your screen. This is Paul saying this. He's telling basically Timothy, well, teach this to your, to, your, to your people. Teach those who are rich in this world. Now, I know when you see that word rich, you might tune out and say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Uh, I would encourage you, if you want to do an interesting exercise, go on the website Global Rich List and just put your income in and see what happens. See where you land in the world. I was shocked when I did that a few years ago and I discovered, huh, who knew? I'm rich. <laughs> I have a car, I have a home, I, have, I, I don't have food insecurity on a regular basis. I'm rich. So he says this, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, as Jesus said. Their trust should be in God. Again, there's a play on the word rich here in these passages, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Isn't that wonderful? It's, he's not saying that God is just wants you to kind of barely squeak by. He wants you to have joy. Now, my wife Sue and I, we have six kids. We have 10 grandkids now. And by, on March 9th, we will have 12 because one of our daughters-in-law is having twin boys. That's like awesome and amazing. Uh, uh, her husband was one of the little boys when we had when we planted our church. And now he'll have three of his own. It's crazy and wonderful. So for grandkids' birthdays, Sue and I, we have a budget. We have X amount of money we give. And we decided one day, we would like to do something other than buy them a toy that breaks in about three days. You know what I mean? <laughs> so she said, let's give them an experience. And so we do this. We, we'll have them stay overnight with us. We take them, we offer, we'll take you to the, to the mall or some other place to buy something. We'll give you 20 bucks, spend it the way you want. Uh, we'll, or you, we'll take you to a movie. We'll come back and we'll have, we'll go have pizza summer. We went to Pizza Ranch Friday with our seven-year-old grandson, Charlie. It was actually better than I thought it would be. I'm sorry if that's not in a very high praise. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect, but it was actually good. He loved it. Uh, so, as we were preparing for this, I want Charlie to have fun. I want him to really enjoy this time with us. So I went to Dollar Tree. Hey, I'm a big spender, right? <laughs> so I go to Dollar Tree, and you know what I found? I found you could buy three boxes of Cracker Jack. Anybody know what Cracker Jack is? I grew up loving Cracker Jack. So I, you can get three boxes for a buck. It is the greatest deal. <laughs> so I bought three. <laughs> and so I was teaching Charlie. And it's interesting. Cracker Jack has evolved because the prize was not some little plastic thing that you'd lose in about 14 seconds. Uh, but it was actually like a, give you an insight to a website where you could play video games on the website. He loved that. <laughs> I want Charlie to have joy. You know, I'm an imperfect person a hopefully progressively better person. But God wants you to have joy. So Paul says, 
Trust God because he will richly give you all you need for your enjoyment. And then tell them, use their money to do good, like God does good. You're made to do good. All of you is made to do good. Your time, your energy, and your money. I think that's pretty awesome. My money can be used to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need. Now, this is in bold because this is kind of where I want to go today. Always being ready to share with others. Wouldn't it be great to always be able to share to always be in a ready position. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Now, I'm an old coach. I coached basketball for, I don't know, probably 10 years. Private schools, girls, men, boys. And so I taught my players they needed to be in a ready position. You need to be in a triple threat position. Anybody ever play basketball know what that means? That means you need to be able to pass, you need to be able to dribble, you need to be able to shoot. You gotta be ready. I also coached baseball for a lot of years, and I taught people how to have a decent batting stance so they could be ready for the pitch. Or if they were playing, playing shortstop like I did a lot, they had to be ready to move. Ready positions are important in life, not just in basketball or baseball or softball. And so Paul is saying, be in a ready position. I want you to always be ready to be able to share. You have choices. I'm not saying you have to give to everything that comes your way. I don't. But isn't it great to be ready that you can if God stirs your heart to do that? So how can we be in that spot? How can we be ready? I believe, I believe, that, I believe that we all want to be generous. I believe the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts so that we'd be generous. I don't think it's really a want-to issue for uh, hardly any of us. I don't know if I've ever met anybody in 50 years in a church that didn't want to be generous. I've met a lot of people that say, wish I could, but can't. Wish I could, but can't. Wish I could, but I can't. And of course, we have to talk about what does that actually mean that you can't. And does God want to stir you to take a step of faith in the midst of challenge so that you can grow out of challenges? There's a lot to be said about that. But how can we be in a ready position? One thing is we need to avoid a couple traps. Jesus mentioned them. They are greed, thinking that our life does consist in the amount of stuff we can accumulate. Jesus says it doesn't. Greed is one trap to avoid. Second trap to avoid is worry. Just constantly wondering and worrying about your money. And I don't know which one of those you struggle with more uh, or if you have some struggle with both. Uh, they both, in my opinion, relate to where do we look for our security? Where do we look for our significance? Where do we look for our place in life? And God is, Paul is saying, look to God for these things. Don't look to money to provide that. Now, I mentioned my own struggles with, uh, with money and fear, and I'm so grateful that God has continued to break through. Jesus says regarding worry, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat and clothes to wear. For life is more than food. Your body is more than clothing. And then he says, look at the ravens. Now Matthew says, look at the birds. Luke focuses on ravens. I don't know how much you know about ravens. Truth be told, I knew nothing about ravens until I worked on this message. <laughs> but ravens are at the, in that culture were at the bottom of the bottom of the pole in terms of birds. They're scavenger birds. They're unclean. You can't eat them. 
Now, you might love ravens. It's okay. Uh, that culture, they were the like, least valuable. And Jesus is making a point. If God takes care of the unclean, least valuable ravens, he will certainly take care of you because you are far more valuable to him. So, instead of putting your energy and worrying about your life, your food, your clothing, your shelter, put your energy in being concerned about the kingdom of God. Make that your highest place. And God will give you everything you need. Don't be afraid, little flock. It gives your father great pleasure to give you the kingdom. Those of you that have kids or grandkids, or maybe, maybe there may be somebody here who's even has great grandkids, I think you know what I mean. It gives pleasure. I had so much pleasure buying that Cracker Jack for Charlie. <laughs> and truth be told, he enjoyed it. So I gave him a box, and then he says, uh, I see, Grandpa, you have three boxes. Could I take another one home? And I said, well, would you share it with your, with your brother and sister? He thought for quite a while. I'll share a little, <laughs> which may mean one kernel of caramel corn for each of them. I don't know. He's learning, you know, like I am. I said, well, Charlie, I'm giving it to you. Couldn't you give some to them? I could. <laughs> anyway, so I love Charlie. We're good buddies. <clears throat> so two traps to avoid, greed and worry. Five practices that I think will really help you move forward to life and freedom with your resources that will put you in a ready position so you can be more generous than you can imagine. Now, these are things that Sue and I are continuing to practice. Now, let me just talk about them. I'm calling them practices because you do need to practice them. I'm an old coach, okay? If you're going to learn how to shoot laps well under pressure in a ball game, you shoot a lot of them in practice. Lindsay Whalen, I'm, how many remember Lindsay Whalen? She coaches at the University of Minnesota now. Her team has had some struggles finishing at the rim, so she had them do this Miken drill. It's based from George Miken, who was a great player for Minnesota. You shoot layups on one side, you go there. So you do that about 100 times, until you, and you get tired, but you learn to do it. Well, if you're going to become a good athlete, you practice a lot. If you're going to be good at following Jesus, you know what you need to do? You need to practice a lot. That's part of what we're doing here today. We're practicing. Now, we're living truly, but you're going to do a lot of living Monday through Saturday. And how well you live, truth be told, is going to relate to how well you practice. All right. So five practices. One, bring others in and help others out. I'll explain these. Bring others in, share your needs, and share your resources. Two, regard money as a tool for something bigger than your life. God can do a whole lot more than you might think. Number three, love giving back to God. Number four, hate going into debt. Number five, turn your worries about money into prayers. Those are five things that Sue and I are still practicing. They have so helped us. So let's go through them. Bring others in and help others out. Here's a wonderful passage from Acts 4 about the, how the first followers of Jesus lived this out. Backstory, they're filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, uh, and uh, Peter preaches, 3,000 say, are saved. So the church goes from 120 to 3120, bam! I think that's a miracle. I think many miracles. I think it's a miracle they didn't all die. Because how, you know, they had a structure for 120, now they got 3120! They needed a lot of leaders. Can I just say this? My enjoyment with you at Mercy is for many reasons. 
One is, you are a leader-rich environment. You know what I mean by that? That means lots of wonderful things. It means you have energy, you have ideas. It means there's a potential for more conflicts. Isn't that great? Because people have different ideas. <laughs> but we can work that out. Conflicts aren't bad. We also have the potential to be a much larger church. I think Mercy could be a church of 1,000 to 1,500 people easily. Now, it's going to require all of you, I mean, I, I realize some of you may not have committed your life here, and that's fine. Take the time you need, but please make a commitment at some point, somewhere. That's how you'll grow. But as you do that, and as you are willing to step forward and let your, quote, light shine, let your gifts be expressed, let your money be used, let your time be invested, mercy will grow. There's so many people in the Twin Cities that need what God is doing here with us. I get, Hear me. There's lots of great churches. I love them all. I'm not saying we're better than anybody. We don't have to be better. Just be ourselves. Yeah. All right. So all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. This is a key principle for, for financial management. I'll say it again in the next point. But they realized God was the owner of everything. They were his money managers. And so because they knew that, that he owned everything and they were to manage it, they were free to share everything they had as God kind of touched them and guided them. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's great blessing was upon them all. Can you say all with me? All. all. Say it like just a little louder. All. All, all right. They were all in this. There were no needy people among them. And you say, no needy people with me. No needy people. Isn't that amazing? Now, why? And how could that be with 3,120 people in the midst? Because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, here's an example for us. There was Joseph the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, or Barnabas. Why did they call him that? Bar means son. Nabas means encouragement. means son of encouragement. Why would they call him that? Not a trick question. He was an encourager. <laughs> Everybody was encouraged when they were around Barnabas. Part of it was he was super generous with his money. His heart went to people. They could feel it. And so he sold the field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Now, it is likely that these fields and, and other buildings were investment properties, not where they lived, because, you know, Dan and Janice Offfield were friends from long ago. They helped us plant River Heights. So, you know, if Sue and I said one day, let's sell our house and give it to somebody. Well, then we'd call Dan and hey, hey, could we come and live with you for a while? And then she said, well, sorry, we sold our house and we gave it to so-and-so. We're looking for a place. So they weren't selling their residences, likely. They were selling investment properties and releasing the money to the apostles to use as God led them. That's why there were no needy people. Isn't that amazing? So a story for me. Years ago, we were in a small group at Burnsville Church, and we have six kids. They're all married now and have their own cars, but at that time, we bought the cars. We needed three cars to get us all around where we were going. And they were all used cars. 
Sometimes they were good used cars. Sometimes they were less than good used cars. <laughs> they were used. Definitely they were used. And so one of them broke. So I'm at the small group and I decide to do this bring others in thing. And I say, hey, really need some prayer. Uh, one of our cars broke. And everybody started laughing like, which one? Could have been any of them. Hey, I said, be nice. We're doing the best we can. <laughs> and they were teasing us. And so we told them. And I said, well, we, we have this much saved up and we're praying that we can find something for this. And so they prayed for us. It was pretty awesome. And the next Sunday, one of the worship leaders in the church, who was part of that group, uh, came to me after the service. And he said, hey, we, my wife and I have been praying for you and Sue about this car. I said, that's awesome. I'm going to be looking this week, da-da-da. And he says, here. So he gives me an envelope. Eh, that's awkward. Like, I'm like, what's this? He said, why don't you open it and see? And I said, ah, that's kind of awkward. So I opened it. Well, actually, we went to a corner of the church so nobody else could see us. And I opened it, and it was a substantial gift, a check, and they'd written it with our name on it. And I said, I can't take this. And he said, wait a minute. Weren't you the guy two weeks ago when you were preaching said the way you want to live your life is you talk to God about your needs and when God tells you to do, you do it. That's what we did. We prayed, talked about you uh, to God. He said, why don't you give this? And he said, by the way, I got a huge bonus last month and I don't, we don't need it all. You need it. So could you just say thank you? <laughs> Which I did, you know, but it was humbling. So I'd enabled us. He said, we want you to buy a slightly better car than you've had up to now. And so we did. We shared our needs. Now, we've done that with all kinds of things. And I'm not trying, and, and you need to know that as well, when Sue and I were in our first church, we each came to our marriage with a car. I helped her buy that car, actually. I actually borrowed her $200 to pay for it. And then I asked her to marry me. And she said, this is a great deal, because now I don't have to pay that loan back. I said, hey. <laughs> <laughs> she said, that's not why I said yes. Anyway, uh, we, we like to mess with each other, you know. So anyway, we had a, you had a young couple. They really needed a car. And we had two. Truth be told, we could have kept using two. But we didn't really need two. So I said, how about we give one of the cars? And Sue, bless her heart, you get to know her, you love her. She said, well, as long as we give them the best one. I thought, oh, that kind of wasn't my first idea, but whatever. Yes, let's do that. So I got on board. So what I want you to know is we've done both sides of this. We've shared our needs. People have blessed us. And we've shared our resources. And we want to continue to. Friends, this is a healthy way to live, not just with money, but with your life. Open your life. Let it breathe. Open it to God. Open it to others. Now, I'm not saying... Do this for people you've never talked to before, like randomly. I'm talking about make some friends, be in a group where you develop some trust, but please, open your lives. God has so much blessing for you. It comes from God, but it comes through us. Bring others in, help others out. Number two, regard money as a tool for something bigger than yourself. Uh, Psalm 24.1 says, 
The earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. This is one of many passages that lets us know God's the owner of everything. He has made everything, and through Jesus as he gave his life, you could read this, it's not going to show up on the screen, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, you're not your own, you've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. So we're twice, we're twice, twice owned, so to speak, via creation and via redemption. God's the owner of everything that friends. And we're his money managers. If you get this, it'll take so much pressure off of you. It all doesn't rest on you. It was never meant to rest on you. You're meant to be actively involved, partnering with God, being a money manager. But he's the owner. He's the one that watches out for you. He's the one that can guide you. He's the one that can protect you. He's the one that can lead you into good things. Because he wants to. He so wants to. See yourself as God's money manager. Here's Luke 16, one of the places where Jesus addresses this. He says here, here's a lesson. Use your worldly resources slash money to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Now, that's a little mysterious, right? What in the world might he be saying? I don't know exactly, but this is my guess. What he's saying is as you live your life, you have the opportunity to invest, to give, to be generous in all kinds of ways. All of them count. One day, you know, our possessions are going to be gone. And you literally can't take it with you. You can send it on ahead, but you can't take it with you. And so, one great day when we're in the new heaven and new earth and we're walking down those streets, you might hear from somebody, thank you so much. Excuse me. Oh, it's nice to meet you. I want to thank you. Uh, Do I know you? No, you may not have, but, you know, when you gave to that children's opportunity. My children got clothing. My children got shoes. My children got food. That so touched us, we gave our lives to Jesus. We're here now. Thank you so much. I think that's part of what that means. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. You know, I'm 70 plus at this point. I've learned this. Most of life is about little things. Now, I know there's big things, marriages, weddings, births, all that. Yes, I do know that. But little things lead to those big things. You and I need to take care of little things. If we're faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you will be dishonest with greater responsibilities. If you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, that's money, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Can I say this to you? Again, Mercy Vineyard, you are a leader-rich environment. One of the big tests, opportunities, uh, assessments of good leaders is this. They are extremely generous people. They are hospitable, means they love new people. They open their homes, they open their hearts, they open their pocketbooks. When uh, I had the privilege of working with leaders in River Heights and wanted to give more leadership responsibility or add someone to staff, guess what I, guess what I looked at? Were they given? Were they given regularly, consistently, faithfully? Were they giving their time and energy? Were they already doing things I would like them to be doing? If they weren't, it didn't mean they would never be 
qualified. It just means now isn't the time. Because leadership is functional. You're leading if you're actually leading. John Wimber used to say, if you're not actually leading anybody, you're just taking a walk. <laughs> Nobody's following you. You're just taking a walk. One other thing about John, and some of this maybe this might irritate you, offend you, I don't know. Sometimes people would come to him in the Anaheim Vineyard and they'd have a complaint or a criticism of the church. I know that's never happened at Mercy Vineyard, but it did happen at the Anaheim Vineyard. And so John would listen and he, he was concerned. He wanted things to work well. And so after he listened to them and he was done with his business, he'd go right up to his office. And you know what he did? He would see if they gave any money. He was checking, are they invested here? Is this their home and family? If they are, man, let's keep talking. We'll have, I'll talk as long as you can. Let's try to fix that thing. If they weren't invested, didn't mean he wasn't concerned about what they brought up. It just mean he would not pour his best energy into it. You know, we love praying here. I'll be glad to pray for your toes later if I've just stepped on a lot of them during this process today. I love you. I'm glad you're here. I'm sure you're glad you're here too, right? All right. Money is a tool. Jesus goes on, if you're not faithful with other people's things, why would you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one, love the other. You'll be devoted to one, despise the other. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Money is a great tool. It's a terrible master. It's a great tool. Use it well. Three, love giving back to God. Here's Jesus' word. And Truth be told, every encouragement to give, every exhortation that I've ever found in Old and New Testament always comes with a great promise from God. Here's one from Jesus. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Now think here of a basket with coins. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more coins. Running over, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. He's saying here is, God, you begin to give to God, he will multiply your life. One of the signs of good soil is you multiply. If you look in the Luke story about the sower and the soil, the good soil is the seed that through perseverance produces 30, 60, 90, 100 times. We are made to multiply, to love giving back to God. One other story. So I ran a bookstore for Northwestern Bookstore, two of them actually, five years in Wyzetta, four years in Burnsville. Uh, at one point in that situation, my, my uh, sister's husband, who worked as an engineer for Honeywell, they had a downsizing, he lost his job. They were hurting. So I was concerned about them, I was praying for them, and I felt like God said, why don't you give Doug and Linda some money? And so I said, sure. So I got my checkbook out. I don't write many checks now, but I did then. And I start writing a $10 check. I'm so generous, aren't I? Aren't you proud of me? $10! So I'm writing this, one, zero. I'm about to put the decimal point, and I feel like God whispers to me, why don't you add a zero? And I said, that would be $100. He says, you're so smart. Yes, it would. And I said, we had accumulated by that time the massive for us amount of 200 in savings. Yay! It was a milestone. And I said to God, yeah, that would mean that's, that, that's half of what we have in savings. And I felt like he said, yes, you have $100 left. <laughs> God's kind of funny. He has a different evaluation system. 
So I, I go to Sue and I say, what do you think about this? She looks at me for a while and says, well, you're the one that always worries about money. So if you think we should, it must be God. So let's do it. So I write the check and I fold it up like as small as I can because I don't want to make, this is a family birthday, but I don't want to make a deal. So Doug, Doug is going to go start his car because it's cold. And so I said, hey, here, uh, I'm, I'm praying for you and Linda. I know it's a hard time. Here. So I give it to him and I leave. And he goes to the car and he starts it. I suspect he did like you and I would do. He opens it up while he's getting, and he looks a hundred bucks. He runs back in the house. Doug was an expressive guy. He lifts me off the ground and he kisses me on both cheeks. I thought, oh no, what would he have done if I gave the whole 200? <laughs> you know. Uh, so, and he cried, and I cried, and I was just glad to do it. Tuesday, I go into the warehouse, which is interesting, over here on Stinson Boulevard, and I'm doing my job, head down, trying to get all my work done. Loudspeaker, John Marsden, report to Mr. Cutchell's office. And I'm thinking, oh, no. I think I've been a good boy. I think I've been doing a good job. Uh, what is this about? I'd never been called to his office. So I go there, and I sit down nervously. He's, he's typing on a calculator. That's the period of time. He spins around in his chair and he slides an envelope across the, the counter. I catch it and he says, uh, my house, if you get something, you open it. So I open it <laughs> and he said, uh, and it was a check for $400 and it was made to me. And he said, you've been doing a really good job. We like to reward people who are doing a good job. I am so stunned and so grateful, I, I, I'm not moving. And then he says, uh, don't you have a job to do? <laughs> so, so I went and finished my work. Now, I am not saying, give $100 on Sunday, you'll get 400 on Tuesday. That's never happened to me again, ever. But it happened then. You're, Love giving back to God. He's got so many resources. He can do so much that you can't imagine. My sister and her husband were blessed. Sue and I were blessed. We have tried to live that the rest of our lives. Sometimes it's been shocking, like what God has asked us to do. And I've talked to him three or four times, like, really? Okay, one time I actually had a bu budget on paper and I held it up. Do you see this budget? <laughs> if we do what you say, uh, it's all going to be like turned upside down. And I felt like I said, yes, and it's going to be way better. And so we've learned, and he's always been good for his word. Love giving back to God. Hate going into debt. Debt is not evil. Debt is not sin. Borrowing is not considered sinful in the Bible. But it is discouraged. Why? Because it leads to less freedom financially. Proverbs 22, 7. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant or slave to the lender. That means if you have payments, you don't really have control of that money. Sue and I have a 2015 Honda Civic. We love it. She wanted leather seats that you could heat up. And I'm so glad we got them. Uh, one of the sidebars, that was, it's got a spoiler on the back, which our kids say, oh, we're getting sporty in our old age. <laughs> I said, come on, we just wanted leather seats. We just got the spoiler. Anyway, so we, we paid, paid, paid half cash, and we had to finance the rest. $372.98 to Honda Finance. But I got 0.9 interest. I'm a, I'm a smart guy. Anyway, so we kept, we kept uh, paying that, and, you know, we just did it. I still remember the day when that last payment. Holy cow, I felt free. Like we can use that $372.98 for whatever we think is wise. We can give it all to the church. We can give part of it to the church. We can take our kids out. We can do all kinds of things. And we can do that every month. Because <laughs> we don't owe that anymore. 
can I encourage you? One of the ways you're in, you're in, you can be in a ready position to always be ready to share is get out of debt. Make a commitment to God. Ask for his help. Ask for other people's advice. Trust him. Be intentional. And you can use the debt snowball. Take your lowest debt. Pay that one off. When you've paid that off, use that money to pay the next one. It all works, friends. And it'll work because God will give you the energy to do that. And then turn your worries into prayers. Don't worry about anything, Paul says. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds. Friends, we need guarding. We need protection in our whole life, especially in the protection over our money, how we use it. Because, you know, we have an enemy, and what does Jesus call Satan? A lot of things, but one of them is a thief. He wants to rip you off. He wants it to cause you to make the stupidest decisions about money you could ever make to put you in bondage for years. I know because I've made some stupid decisions. I'm, not, I'm, I'm out of them now, thank God, and I don't want to do it again. But I know what it feels like to be under. God so wants to lift you up and help you. What's your next step in becoming a more generous person? Is it to tell other people people you have a relationship with, you trust about your situation, your needs, and ask for their prayer and counsel? Or is it to help somebody who does that with you? Is it to realize, oh, God is the owner of everything. I'm a manager. All right, great. I'm going to be the best manager I can be. Is it to set an annual goal for giving this year? Maybe you've already done that. Maybe you're still thinking. I found that to be a helpful thing for Sue and I, to set some goals Ask God for his wisdom. What would you like us to be giving this year? Now, we started with the baseline of 10%, but we've been trying to grow in our percentage giving our whole life long. God, I'm sure, has an idea for you. Why not consider, if you're not doing this yet, starting with giving the first 10% to God's work here at Mercy? This is a great church. It's worth investing here. I would encourage you. God's going to bless you. How about committing a percentage of your money to giving to those who are under-resourced in our community and beyond? How about crying out to God to get out of debt? How about turning your worries into prayers? I'd love to have the worship folks come back up. We're going to continue to worship now. And I want to pray, if you're able to stand and would want to stand, you can please stand now. We'll, we'll sing a little bit and let God touch us and encourage us. But I want to pray for you because I know God wants to lift burdens today. He wants to give vision today. Some of you, I sense, have the gift of giving. Now, all of us are called to give. Hear me. But some people have special gifts. And my experience with those folks is they have a keen sense of what God wants to do, how God wants to bless their lives, and how God wants to to use resources and bring resources to them and through them. So that might be you. We'd love to pray for you if that's the case. I'm going to pray right now and then we're going to worship. There's communion available on the tables and I'd really encourage you to take communion and meet Jesus in it and then there'll be baskets being passed so that you could give. Lord, we thank you that you so generously give to us as Paul said, everything we need 
for our enjoyment. We thank you that you want to bring more joy into our life in 2020. More freedom. More wisdom. More strength and courage. And Lord, we want to receive that. And Father, we want to put our whole lives in your hands. We know you will make the best of our lives. You will do the best for us. You'll do the best through us. Would you help us to step out of the fears that we have? Would you help us to step into the life you want to bring? Would you help us as we set some goals this year personally and in our families with our finances? Give us wisdom. Lead us forward. Do that for us as a larger family here at Mercy. And we thank you for all the good that you'll do all over the world through our lives. Meet us now as we worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.